0: Open relationships, what are they, myth or reality, what are the do's and what are the don'ts, and most importantly, are they right for you? These are some of the questions we're exploring in episode 24 of the Feminine Uncut podcast that empowers you to trust your voice, follow your heart, and embrace your womanhood with no fear and no shame. I'm Juana, your host, life coach, and founder of TheFeminine.com an online platform dedicated to women all over the world with the mission of forwarding a new paradigm of how to take care of yourself as a woman on all levels. The Feminine is the embodiment of my coaching method and it brings together a tried and true body of work with the intention of meeting all your questions, concerns, curiosities, and you know, opportunities for growth. Self-care, self-love, sensuality, female sexuality, empowerment, career, relationships, sisterhood, everything in between. And motherhood. (laughs) We have so many valuable things to share, so please go visit our website, thefeminine.com, browse through our magazine and read our articles, listen to our previous uncut episodes, and even start your journey into the world of the feminine the way we see it with our introductory course, thefeminine.com slash sacred space. Now, let's get back to our today's topic, which is a very intense topic called open relationships. Yana is my partner, as usual. And we're going to talk about this and really explore this topic more in detail. Hi, Juana.
1: Hi, Juana. Hello, everyone. I have done my research as usual. But first, before we start, please acknowledge me. I'm wearing a dress.
0: (laughs) Yes, I acknowledge you. For those who don't know, uh, you know, we have a very (laughs) cute dynamic between us. And I coached Joanna recently and gave her an assignment to buy a dress and she got very triggered about it and it went into an emotional upset about (laughs) being invalidated about her femininity. But basically I wasn't doing that. I was just encouraging her to just give herself a gift and enjoy a beautiful dress. So we had a lot of uh, things uh, stirred up in the community, and there was all the sisters in our community. So you know, we have a sacred community, and uh, it's for the graduates of our courses. And it just unleashed a whole range of a ideas <laughs> and sharing, and you know, insight for all of us. So yes, I acknowledge you for the dress,
1: <laughs> but I also have an idea. I've been thinking, because you gave me this task, it was actually a task, because 99% of the time I'm wearing sports gear, because it makes me feel comfortable. But I was thinking, in fact, the traditional sports gear is not so comfortable. I mean, it is comfortable, but if you start tapping into a Your feminine vibrations, yeah. the things that made you feel comfortable all of a sudden start to feel too tight and too... And I was thinking, there isn't on the market anything like sports gear made for women, like made from silk and cashmere and feminine, feminine materials. So we should think of, <laughs> a new, a <laughs> <new>. of inventing <laughs> a new type of sports gear for women. I mean, not for women, but yeah. for women who are exploring this side of femininity.
0: Yes. True. It's a good business idea. idea. (laughs) It's a good business
1: idea. (laughs) (laughs) But now, turning back to our topic today, the idea came after we did the podcast on we called it cheating, even if you don't like the word. And uh, the girls and the boys in our community started to say, "Okay, but there's a difference between cheating, you know, and the open relationship." And we asked our community, what curiosities, questions, dramas they have around the open relationship topic. And I would like to quote, just to ignite the conversation, a feedback, because it's not a question for real. Coming from uh, Irina, I chose uh, her feedback because I think it pinpoints the contradictions that this topic generally arises. She says, oh my god, only reading the words open relationship gave me chills. I keep on hearing lately about these words. They say, like the people using this way of loving, I don't know how to call it, they say it means unconditional love, freedom and trust. But honestly, I judge the topic and it also scares me a lot. Why? Because it hits... My perfect ideal image of what love really means. Why I chose her feedback is because she says that she keeps on hearing about these dynamics, this kind of dynamics. But in the same time, she has um, she's not comfortable with the idea, and she also judges those who choose open relationships. Uh, let's start
0: from here what's your experience as a coach with open relationships it's a beautiful concept but in reality it doesn't really work (laughs) and most of the times we end up um, suffering rather than experiencing this unconditional love and freedom that you know is brought up by the concept or the paradigm and it's themed from you know that we are polyamorous and we are meant to be polyamorous as a species, and you know that monogamy is not good for us, which is which is a premises we can look at from this point of view. We can look at in regard to this topic, but we are not just sexual instinctual animals that want to reproduce with many other animals. We're also an emotional human being. We have a soul. We have a spirit, and I think in. It takes a lot of maturity, emotional maturity on everybody's side, which, you know, it's ideal, but it's not really anchored in reality, to experience an open relationship in, from a place of fulfillment for everybody involved. Most of the time, somebody is not okay, is coping with the situation, or, you know, has an emotional breakdown around the situation, experiencing jealousy or unworthiness or rejection or attraction or seduction or manipulation and uh, I've never seen three people happy. I've seen it, one that, or two that was, but not three. That or was four. exactly my exactly
1: my, my thought right now because I felt like I didn't meet anyone choosing to be in an open relationship. All the three or all the four being happy. At least one has to suffer.
0: Well, I don't know if that's like a one hundred percent rule for open all or open relationships. Maybe there are people who are experiencing it in a particular context. Yeah. And tantric context around the world, can provide a, a milieu for mm-hmm. this type of experiences because if everybody agrees that sex is free and we can just share it and it doesn't involve necessarily love, and we can explore one another from this point of view without you know the emotional baggage that comes along and we're living in that type of culture and everybody has the same value, it can work. Mm -hmm. But it's a secluded experience in in a very secluded context. I don't think on a society level that works because we're very different. So most of the times, actually, it's not just one suffering. I've seen all three suffering because the one who's suffering is bringing down everybody else in the conversation. So you end up just having a mess of the whole thing. But it's it's a hot topic and it's a very actual topic. People are experiencing it more and more, and they're trying to deal with it from the emotional point of view in a way that's much more grounded or healthier or you know even effective.
1: I was thinking when we briefed this uh, this podcast, where did I hear for the first time in my life this concept of open relationship? And I digged and I digged and I digged and I think I identified. I think it was Facebook. If I don't know if you remember, like many years ago, when the early years of Facebook, you could choose your status on Facebook. Yeah, and then it there became something public. there were options, and there were two that became popular culture because of Facebook. It's complicated and in an open relationship. Which I really pretty much think is kind of like the Facebook, same stage. Yeah, two stages of the same thing. this human reality in, in a popular concept i personally had strong opinions of course due to my own experience with this topic but a few years ago i i read a book that changed my optics on the judgments i had because i had a lot of judgments concerning this subject and i brought the book and i would uh, like to read some uh, extracts from it uh, also to challenge you and also to come forward with the objective perspective, because even the world of anthropology and of science, it's divided between the researchers, historians, who think that open relationship is something embedded in our genes, and those who say that it's only a good excuse to, to something around. (laughs) Uh, The book is called uh, Sex at Dawn. It's Written by uh, Christopher Ryan and Cecilda Yeta. I hope you she's Portuguese. Well, I hope I'm pronouncing correct her name. And I will just read some passages. In a nutshell, here's the story we tell in the following pages. A few million years ago, our ancient ancestors, Homo erectus, shifted from a gorilla-like mating system where an alpha male fought to win and maintain a harem of females to one in which most males had sexual access to females. Few, if any experts, dispute the fossil evidence for this shift. But we part company from those who support the standard narrative when we look at what this shift signifies. The standard narrative holds that it is when long-term pair bonding began our species If each male could have only one female mate at a time, most males would end up with a girl to call their own. Indeed, where there is a debate about the nature of innate human sexuality, the only two acceptable options appear to be that humans evolved to being either monogamous, male plus female, or polygynous, like male plus female, 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 female. <laughs> there is no female
0: plus male, 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 male. Yeah, I think that's a misogyny. <laughs>
1: exactly. With the conclusion normally being that women generally prefer the former configuration, while most men opt in for the latter. After all, we know that the foraging societies in which human beings evolved were small-scale la la la, I will skip to get to even a stronger one. To give you a bit of context, it's about having in our genes the necessity of sharing everything. Foragers divide and distribute meat, for example, equally. They breastfeed one another's babies have little or no privacy from one another and depend upon each other's survival, which is true. So the question is, why wouldn't we do the same with partners? We believe this sharing behavior extended to sex as well, say the authors. A great deal of research from primatology to anthropology, anatomy and psychology points to the same fundamental conclusion. Human beings and our hominid ancestors have spent almost all of the past few million years or so in small intimate bands in which most adults had several sexual relationships any given time this is only to make uh, an idea what the book digs in but it's research based and it's really really instructive so if you have judgments about this topic You should try to read this book, at least because it gives you a perspective into how we work as human beings. But I think we need to adapt to what our emotional, I don't know how to call it, finds it
0: comfortable, uh, if not normal. I, I I think this is very true when we look at ourselves from the perspective of sexuality. But we're not just sexual beings. Or at least our sexuality as it evolves includes emotional landscape, it includes soul landscape. And when that comes to play, it is a problem the polyamory, because we haven't really mastered how to navigate and order our emotions in a way that, you know, respects the other brings love and empathy to one another and kind of allows us to experience love in a healthy, happy way for all included in a polyamorous system or dynamic. So I think while this anthropological perspective is very spot on, taking the perspective of our sexual animal, it doesn't really carry the day when we're, you know, looking at our emotional animal in a way. And, um... I think this is where it comes into play and I think one of the reasons why open relationship has become an actual topic that's a public topic that, you know, people are trying it on a social level and they're Mm -hmm. open about trying it, I think it's because we are in 2019 exploring more our emotions and our emotional landscape and trying to figure it out. I think our ancestors didn't have that issue. They didn't have a perception or perspective around their emotional landscape. I think they just lived. And they were exploring and discovering things as they lived. And while they were living, their instincts were the primordial dominant part of who they are. But 2019, you know, years, not later, but like a lot of years later, a lot of thousand years later, we've tried our sexual impulse. We've gone through our instinctual karmic <laughs> we sexual... we even
1: overpopulated the, we <laughs> the even earth. Over,
0: yeah, with, with our sexual instinct. And now I think, you know, there's like a, on a special level, this opportunity of exploring a different dimension, a much higher dimension in a way that involves emotion. It's no wonder that women prefer monogamy relationship because only in a monogamous relationship can your emotion really open up Mm -hmm. and go deep. Mm -hmm. So if the woman is more centered around her emotion and that's how she opens her sexuality, of course, she will prefer a monogamy relationship because this is very natural for her. While the male is more instinctual based and needs the woman to start mm-hmm. an emotional process. So of course, the men will be much more easygoing with the idea of having sex with other women. But I don't think this is like these are just general assumptions or perceptions or principles. Nowadays, I've seen women really taking ownership of their sexual instinct and exploring it fully. As equally as men, that's why I was laughing and saying, this is a misogyny because I've yeah. seen women <laughs> loving, having a polyamorous relationships, loving having sex with more men, and not really going deep emotionally with somebody and respecting their independent emotional independency, and having men, you know, having issues with that. So I, I think it's a human game.
1: Okay, I think it's not about what's good or bad, right or wrong but about what makes us feel comfortable or uncomfortable. So a question that would really benefit your answer is, how can we learn how to include the differences? For example, if we are in a relationship where our partner would like to try to have an open relationship, but we genuinely feel uncomfortable with the idea, how can we tackle this difference so that the relationship has a chance to survive, but the other one does not end up frustrated because he's not free enough.
0: Well, it's a a very complex dynamic, and I think, uh, you know, they need a coach or a therapy to navigate through it. Because if it doesn't really work for you to be polyamorous and your partner wants this and he doesn't feel that he's happy, he feels, you know, suffocated or you know, isolated because of your personal uh, nature, I think you're not having, you know, enough compatibility mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to make it a go, you know, to give this relationship a chance. In the end, it's a, it's a choice. And, you know, if the choices are in contradiction with one another, then I don't think you have the bridge on which you can create uh, and move forward in the relationship. So, it's really about being very truthful and very honest and knowing what your limits are and then bringing that honesty to the relationship and see if that, you know, that honesty and, you know, the choices that each one of us are making are going to create a foundation for us to experience our relationship further. But I think if somebody really wants to be polyamorous and somebody really wants to be monogamous, I think that's a clash.
1: I don't even think that we have enough time to process all this information. I think that you really feel it. You always say, go back to the sacred space of your heart and ask your higher self what's your truth. Because many times we put ourselves out there in situations or in contexts that make us feel uncomfortable just because it's normal, just because it's popular, just because... The people around us choose that way and we are not confident enough in what's safe or good for us to make a choice from a very strong point so when you're surrounded by people who say they have their reasons doesn't matter but they seem to choose to be in open relationships and we are not confident enough to say that's not right for me. This is my option. I let go.
0: Actually I think the process is the same in any other given situation. Like you wanna make a step forward in your career and you have to move somewhere particularly and you know dedicate two years for your career and you're in this stable, monogamous relationship and you have to make a choice. That's an individual choice, you know, but it affects the relationship. <laughs> this is a much more controversial topic because it, it's more intimate to our emotional landscape and we, we we suffer from it. But it's the same. You have to take a step back from the relationship and really take the silence, create the silence around you to feel into what's right for you and understand what's right for you and go through, you know, that process of tuning in. With yourself. Now, if you don't have the practice of tuning in with yourself, you have to start somewhere. Either, you know, a self help book that supports you and teaches you how to meditate or how to stay with yourself without the anxiety of loneliness, or our sacred space of the heart if it clicks and it resonates, or a personal coach that you can take to guide you into this process. Because you'll have to learn it in a way. It doesn't really come natural. Most of us have our intuition and instincts in a way, we're cut off from it. They're blurred for us because we we are so accustomed to our society and, you know, belonging to our society and pleasing the people around us that we don't know how to love and be loved in a way that includes our basic needs, our personal needs. And then, of course, it's a risk, because if you say, you know, this doesn't work for me, then you're challenging the status of the relationship and you're challenging the future of the relationship. But then again, without that, without doing that, how can you really create a future that's fulfilling for you? I think in any long-term relationship, there comes a moment where the relationship is challenged by something, whether it's the polyamorous dynamic or career change, or moving forward and having kids, or, you know, just going deeper into the emotional landscape and not feeling that the partner is ready for that, so on and so forth.
1: Yes, it's pretty obvious that you cannot, I mean, at a point you learn that there's no shortcut. You cannot avoid the process. But the challenge, I think it is to make it non-traumatic, to be able to go through the process because it's a learning process in the end to find out what works for you, what's good for you, to to find the courage to state your truth. But the challenge is n- to make it not easy, but to not transform it into something that will just stay with you for the rest of your life as a trauma.
0: Well, I think this applies uh, to everything in in my opinion. I think to n- to navigate anything including your limits in a relationship or your desires, whatever you want to explore, you have to be conscious. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm talking so much about conscious relationship, conscious motherhood, conscious sexuality, conscious femininity, conscious Mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. Because consciousness, when it's really brought to surface and it serves you like the observer that you are, moving through the experiences of life, moving through your emotions, moving with your instincts, then it will serve you because the drama and the trauma comes from stepping into situations where you're not feeling ready for or safe or safe and you don't know how to contract the readiness and the safety so you're just exploring them wide open but from a place that will get you wounded Mm -hmm. and you don't know how to deal with that because you don't know yourself well conscious relationship conscious life pattern lifestyle actually includes being the observer of your own process, of your own feelings, of your own ideas, of your own instinct, observing what happens in the dynamic with another, and then really guiding yourself as you move forward. Mm-hmm. You can explore anything and it doesn't even have to be, you know, a part of the exploration is figuring out that that works or that doesn't work. I think you can explore anything, even if your nature works with that exploration or it doesn't. Mm -hmm. But if you are conscious, you gain a lot of things. First of all, you gain control of your own self. Mm -hmm. Second, you learn about yourself through the exploration. Third, you're open-minded and you explore and you really figure out what works and what doesn't work for you. Fourth, you are very Grounded in, in who you are and what you want in a relationship. And I think that gives you just such a powerful place to be in a relationship, create a relationship, own the space of a relationship, that it will just prepare you for a very amazing journey with another human being, whether that journey ends, you know, at a particular moment in time or it lasts forever. So consciousness is just that very personal guide that muscle that turns into a guide, your own guide, that just helps you navigate through life, not just polyamory and monogamy. And I think it's very important. And how do you acquire consciousness? Well, meditation, prayer, ritual, breathing are just tools that support you and support the observer in you to be activated. It's a muscle, that level of the mind that just doesn't react, but thinks. You know, mm-hmm. the level of the mind that just doesn't think philosophically or theoretically, thinks pragmatically. You see yourself in, in the game of life and you are able to understand yourself in the game of life. So you're not shy from exploration. You're open to exploration. You're not shy from vulnerability. You're diving into vulnerability, but you're diving it in a way that protects you. Because you are also the observer, you catch yourself, you have your own back. And That muscle is so critical. And I think it will speed up the way in which you integrate whatever the information and the emotion and whatever it will surface from the exploration. This is, I think, what's, what's really powerful. And then another thing is just saying yes to the exploration full-heartedly. Most of the people just say yes because they're Mm -hmm. nice or because, you know, it's fashionable or because they're afraid to lose the partner or because they have a hidden agenda. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not, it's not authentic. Mm -hmm. So unless you're honest and and honesty in itself is the price. It's not honesty to gain something. It's not honesty to achieve something. It's really honesty so that you can experience life at a much more intense level. And I think in a way, open relationship really can be a very powerful opportunity for people to experience themselves, to learn about themselves, and to learn about themselves in relationship and learn about their partner, really. Because it triggers so many things. It's such a taboo, it's so unconventional. It's a hardcore experience in a way for somebody who's really straightforward, you know, monogamous and mm-hmm. haven't had the opportunity to really explore it from an open mind. I don't think judgment works because judgment in itself is morality and morality is a very limited construct of experiencing life. The judgments are there to protect ourselves from the feelings. It's just a cover up of not willing to look at your feelings, digest them, feel them, hear them, see what's beneath the first Mm -hmm. reaction of your feelings, tap into the pain or the anxiety or the trigger that that situation brings to you. Unfortunately, because we're not conscious and we don't meditate enough, open relationships turn into a cheating experience and the vibration is brought down.
1: Yeah, and I want to make this my last question in this podcast because we are running out of time. What's the difference? And I mean the real difference because I'm going back to Irina's feedback that I read at uh, the beginning of this episode at the judgment she confesses that she has about this open relationship topic. I think that most of the judgments and the confusion comes from overlapping open relationships with cheating or with infidelity. And I would like to end this podcast with you highlighting the main difference between the cheating or infidelity and the choice for having an open relationship.
0: Honesty. That's like the, the sword that cuts. honesty with yourself at the very beginning and then with your partner. Well, honesty period, firstly with your partner and then with yourself, like with cheating and infidelity, somebody is lying. Mostly the person who's cheating and having a, a secret affair. Yes. Mm -hmm. So that person is cheating and then you figure it out because you figure it out. And then you're either lying about it that because you know, you're covering that it doesn't actually happen or you're confronting the other person with the lie. And then the other person, you know, either comes honest about it, and then there starts a healing process. You know, why did you lie? Why did you feel the need to lie? And then, you know, maybe in that realm of honesty, we can start moving forward and heal our dynamic and, you know, bring more awareness to it at least. With open relationship, we are open. We are honest about where we are in the dynamic of the relationship what we want, how we want it. You know, we're moving forward, including the partner. And if the partner is not ready, we're holding our initiative until he's ready or we're figuring out that we have to stop or take a break because it, it's a clash of interests. Mm-hmm. You know, so honesty, honesty about my intentions, honesty about my actions. I think that's the difference. And uh honesty in itself will bring the vibration up Well, thank you,
1: Wana. And uh, thank you for sending your questions. And please keep on doing that. Send us your questions, your curiosities,
0: as challenging as you can, as you feel. (laughs) Thanks. Yes. And, uh, you know, just know that anytime you experience not honesty, then. There's something to be worked around uh, in relationship to that area or that aspect. So it was a very complicated topic and uh, I'm really glad we dived into it. And I think we have to come back to it at some point. So, um, yeah, but having a question
1: coming from our listeners would help because it gives us a foundation for what's really going on in people's life.
0: Yes. Yeah, so hooray for those who are brave and uh, are exploring open relationships as we speak because it takes courage. And uh, hooray for those who are looking at it beyond judgment.
1: (laughs) Oh, and by the way, if anybody has a curiosity or would like to hear a masculine voice in this podcast, and if you want to have a feedback from a man, we are exploring possibilities to include men in the future. So send us your questions. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Thank you, everybody. Have a great day. Bye.